This is the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Goodison Park. Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of Analyzing Everton. It's uh, the first episode of 2020 and it's actually the first episode for a good few weeks now. Um, I'm joined as ever by Josh Williams. Um, I've spent all day with him, but for the purpose of the people listening, Josh, how are you? <laughs> I'm doing all right, mate. Yeah, as you probably know. Yeah. Good new year, mate. Yeah, yeah. Good to be moving to 2020, I think. Yeah, even though 2019 was a good year, though, I suppose. Yeah, it was, yeah. Um, For the pair of us. <laughs> yeah, well, probably more you than me, actually. But yeah, definitely. Yeah, we'll yeah, come on to that. Um, <clears throat> sorry that we haven't had a show over the last couple of weeks. It's just, um, well, I'll be frank, I've had some time off over Christmas, which was nice, but I appreciate your messages asking where the show is. Um, it's good to, to get back on with the show and... It should be more regularly now, so back to normal every Thursday. Um, but a lot has happened since we last spoke. Uh, in fact, a lot's happened this week, hasn't it, really? Yeah. Um, <laughs> but on, on today's show, we'll we'll maybe briefly touch on Ancelotti, but I think we both agree it's a little bit difficult to gauge what Everton look like under him at the moment, given the fixtures he've had. Um, we'll look back on the horror show at Anfield, um, We'll have a brief look at some of the squad issues haven't faced and then look on ahead to uh, Brighton, come to Goodison on the weekend. Um, probably argue that's a must win in the current climate. Um, Josh, just generally, what have you thought? I'm not putting in the spot, just general thoughts of Everton under Ancelotti so far. Have you got any opinions? Probably as expected, to be mm. honest. Um very little changed. Mm. Uh, very little has changed. And I think he's that, he's that type. Uh, his first few words at the start of every new job seems to be, I don't want to change much. Mm. Um, that's not necessarily a negative. That's mm. just the way he is, I suppose. He's a, he's a very silent operator in, in that regard. He just makes very subtle changes here and there. And um, I like the four four two that he initially, initially selected. Mm. Seems to have used the back three occasionally. Yeah. But I, I'm inclined to think, this could be wrong, I'm inclined to think that he's... He's done that for the opponents, yeah, for Liverpool and City, and you, you know. Well, I think that's why it's so hard to gauge um, where we're at with Ancelotti over these first few games. I mean, it's a small sample size anyway, but um, you played Burnley, Newcastle, two sides who hate the ball. <laughs> <laughs> you know, they don't really enjoy uh, possession football. Me and Everton have enjoyed a lot more possession, but then it's almost the complete contrast. You go and play City away at the Etihad, um, and then a version of a Liverpool side at Anfield. So it's just a, four games that are really different, aren't they? And that's why it's so hard to gauge where we're at under Ancelotti at the moment. So I think that's probably best. Um, I think it's interesting to know that each game has been separated by a goal. Yeah. Um, obviously yeah two won. wins, two defeats. Yeah, but even the defeat was a 2-1 was loss. Mm. Uh, even the Liverpool defeat was a 1-0 loss. Yeah. So I think... I think moving forward, certainly up until the end of the season, I think Angelos—he's probably got the mindset that he's probably going to have to focus on the defence if he wants to secure results in the short term. Yeah. Because I think it's unrealistic to expect Everton to be scoring over two in in a match mm. just just simply because of the the attacking options available. So you're probably going to see a lot of one nils, two ones, two nils, one alls, and that sort of thing. I don't think you're getting beyond that. Yeah, I think what he'll be trying to avoid is. What burnt silver a lot this season of leaving too many games to chance and the tangibles going against you. 
you know, there's not enough, there hasn't been enough control in Everton games this season. And then, you know, those kind of fluke goals or VAR decisions or anything going against you can be the difference between, obviously, you picking up three points or none. Um, so I think that'll be his focus in the second half of the season. But <coughs> anyway, we'll... Um, We'll have to address Liverpool, unfortunately, um, from an Everton point of view, that is. Um, Speak for yourself, mate. Yeah, <laughs> obviously Josh. Modest as ever, I must say. He's uh, He never rubs it in. He's, he's very objective. Um, but he'll be the happier of the two of us sitting here. Um, what were your th- thoughts on the game? Um, right from when the teams come out up until it kicked off and from there on? When the teams come out, I expected Liverpool to compete. Certainly, mm. because that seems to be you know reached a point where that's that's sort of the minimum requirement really. Mm. Um, but I thought that look, looking at the two sides, I thought that it'd be tight. I thought that, as I said, there'd be competition during, between both boxes. But I thought that Everton, if any team did, I thought that Everton had the players with the quality to produce a Curtis Jones moment. Mm. The moment that Curtis Jones produced to win the game, I didn't think Liverpool had that player really I thought if anyone if any team did it would it would be an Everton player like mm. a Charleston maybe or a Calvert Lewin or yeah you know a Sigurdsson maybe from long range. I thought Everton had the quality in the eleven to win the match but obviously Liverpool um played as expected but almost out the skin I suppose, you know, boosted by the environment that they were playing within. Yeah. I think it maybe would have been a different story if it was at Cudderson Park but mm. I just think if it followed uh, a relatively unexpected route once once maybe we hit the hour mark or so. Yeah. I um I thought it was a, a bad display for the whole ninety minutes to be honest. I think there's definitely there was an injection of hunger in Liverpool's team and I I don't think you could even use the excuse that Everton underestimated Liverpool or got too confident. I think they didn't have the passion to win the game, if I'm being brutally honest. Um you know According to the XG, Everton won the XG 1.46 to 0.67. But I don't think that on this occasion tells the story of the game. Um, they lost the shot counts. Everton had 10 shots, 3 on target. Liverpool had 13 with 5 on target. They lost the possession battle as well, um, 57% to Liverpool. They were just the second best side on the day, I thought. And when they didn't consider convert those early chances which to me were against the run of play anyway when they weren't converted um, I felt Everton started as a team to shrink on the pitch whereas Liverpool almost buoyed by it and grew into the game I think it, I agree with the shrinking comments I think they seem to freeze mm. um, obviously there was a degree of expectation on their shoulders mm. especially given the 11 that Liverpool selected whereas Liverpool's players will have felt total freedom mm. Um and no burden whatsoever. But I think it's interesting that you say that the XG doesn't capture the game, because I, I would actually say it, it captures the game in terms of the chances created by either team. Because I think Everton posted an XG of 1.46 there. The, the large majority of that will have been the first half, inside mm. the first half an hour. In mm. fact, Everton created... The, I, I appreciate what you're saying in terms of it was against the run of play, but that was because Liverpool were instilling a proactive game, they were on the front foot, high-pressing, and usually, as Everton fans know, on the silver, if you high-press, the by-product of that is usually, you don't face many shots, but when you do, they're quite clear-cut, mm. 
And Liverpool had exactly that, really. They were dominating the game. But whenever shots came for Everton, they were quite clear-cutting. I think in most cases, at least one of the chances that Everton had in the early stages of the match will have will have found the net, but mm. it just didn't go that way. Yeah, I think I should probably add context on the comments. Yeah, uh, XG can often form a narrative of our games went. Um, so if you're looking at the XG, you'd, you'd probably say Everton were the, the better side, creating more chances. But in reality, I just don't think they were the better side. And, and yeah, I think they had big chances and should have converted at least one of them. But I, uh, those chances for me, a lot of them seem to be one or two pass moves, quick moves, getting to the box as quick as possible and getting the shot off. Or Holgate was from a set piece. I think there was a meaner one in there from a set piece as well. I would prefer to see Everton almost camping Liverpool in the final third, you know, in their defensive third and uh, dominating the game, um, wave after wave of attack, that type of thing. That's what I would expect from this Everton side against that Liverpool side. And I think a lot of the frustration stemmed for me that there wasn't any of that. Um, you know, the the passing accuracy on the day was all over the place, and I know Liverpool pressed fairly well, um, but I think the the passing accuracy is normally around 82%. It dropped to below 77%. Um, there was, it was just, it, it was a mess. And I think a lot of it is down to the fear factor from some of the key personnel on the pitch. Yeah, I think there's there's, there's maybe too, too many players in the squad that have, they're almost scarred, mm. I think. Yeah. Players like, you know, Theo Walcott comes to mind, Sigurdsson comes to mind. Um, just, just these players that have been at Everton for a while and have experienced training periods and and and, and negative negative things. Um, you know, just using the example of, of of Liverpool. You know, my own club. We we gradually phased out the likes of you know Simon Mignolet and Skirtle and players mm-hmm. like that who aren't particularly bad, but. He just came with baggage, and you mm. could just tell he was scarred and, and things like that. Carius has had to leave for a similar reason, I suppose. Yeah. And I think once a player realizes that it's not going to happen at, at this club, sort of thing, it takes very little for them to doubt themselves, and yeah. it takes very little for them to question their own ability. And once you start doing that, you start making weird decisions on the ball, and you start executing certain actions in a poor way when mm. you when you're above that and. Yeah, you know, certain things like that. I agree. I think a few of them did kind of cave under under the pressure. Now, I tweeted this out through the week, but I'm sure there's plenty of people listening who aren't on Twitter. I had a specific look at uh, Morgan Schneiderlin, Gilfie Sigurdsson. Um, and also Schneiderlin made more backwards passes to Mina than he made passes to Calvert-Lewin and Richardson combined. That was a bit of a similar story with Sigurdsson. He made as many passes to Pickford as he did to Calvert-Lewin and Richardson combined. It was, you know, it was it was fearful and people made a few excuses that perhaps the movement ahead of them wasn't great, but maybe the sad act that I am. I, I watched back the uh, the clips and it weren't. It was, a, it was a fear to lift your head up and, and, and progress the ball forward. Yeah. Um, the kind of stuff that we saw, obviously, a 22-year-old and Chiravella doing for Liverpool so successfully specifically in the second half. And you mentioned Walcott there. I do want to mention him because he actually started really well. Didn't he look quite dangerous? Yeah, first half, yeah. Um, He completed 10 of his 13 passes in the first half. 
he made two key passes as well, nearly obviously set a goal up. But he's a player that, as you said, when when things start not going your way, I think his head goes, I'm being frankly honest with you. In the second half, he completed just two of his attempted passes and he'd become a bit of a a liability, I suppose. Yeah, there was a Bullied. moment there was a moment around the hour mark where Everton had a counter attack and he was just on like running towards the inside right position. Mm. And he'd got ahead of his um he got ahead of Liverpool's left back. I think Richarlison was on the far side and it just it just required either Walcott to go closer towards goal before playing a, a cut back across the goal or for him to just, you know, dinkle over the Liverpool centre back for a clear cut chance. But mm. he really, really overhit it and I think it either went out for a goal kick or a throw in near the corner flag. Um and at at that point I remember thinking to myself that I don't know, something's impacted him here. He's not he's not performing as he usually would, he's not performing similar to how he was in the first half. I don't know what it was, maybe it was the environment. As I said, the burden on the shoulders, the mm. expectation. Some players just aren't particularly well suited to coping with it. And I think, you know, looking ahead to the summer, I think I think Brands has got a... Just Everton needs to get rid of the players that are, that have had their shot, if you like. The, yeah. the players that are just... And I don't mean get rid of and not replace. You've obviously got to get new faces in that are like starting from scratch with a clean slate. No baggage at all. But the players that have got baggage, like... You know, Walcott, Sigurdsson, Schneiderlin. Just accept defeat, I think, now. Yeah, yeah. Take take losses on the on the money that you yeah, pay for. Yeah, phase them out, basically, if you can. Yeah, I agree, yeah. Because, you know, there's big wages on there for these players. That, and it, it could be freed up for people who are going to have more of an impact on, on the side. Um, one thing we've spoke about on other shows, spoke about it earlier, but I think it's really imperative to point it out here. There was just... It was a real. It really demonstrated, didn't it, the differences between Liverpool and Everton in terms of a term you use quite a lot. I've used once or twice. Just the alignment of how the club seems to be for Liverpool, just seen from top to bottom, just all in place, perfect. They know what they're doing. You know, the 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 a, a second, maybe even third string side come in and play exactly how the first team will play. It's it's miles away, really, from what from what Everton have, isn't it? Yeah, that's th- this is exactly what we've been talking about for the past couple of weeks when there was speculation about the new manager. This is exactly what we care about so much. It's it's the whole concept of having an identity, principles of play that you abide by no matter what, mm. and that you don't deviate from. And I don't mean in an idealistic sense, like you know, a possession-based coach that clearly can't do it or, or mm. something like that. I just mean principles of play that you just don't deviate from and that are consistent in the players that you're looking for, the players that you're looking to promote, the youth teams, the youth managers, mm. the coaches, mm. the manager. Everton yeah. is aligned with one vision in mind and Ever- Everton don't have that. Um, hence why, you know, Ancelotti, obviously there's a degree of stature about his appointment. But, and, and he may do well, but he's not the type to instill an identity. Mm. He's not of that of that mould. Hence why I wanted maybe, personally, I wanted like an Arteta type. Mm. Because he's clearly got that vision about him that you can instill throughout the club. Everton don't really have that, and Liverpool do. And I think we saw that on the pitch because, you know, I've, I've said before, haven't I, if, if, if both teams on that pitch were shadows, mm. 
you would know which team was Liverpool, even though it was the third strings. Mm. And you wouldn't even be able to identify Everton as Everton, even though that was the actual first team. Yeah, I agree. And <clears throat> I made a point earlier that role reverse in a parallel universe where Everton in X amount of competitions and they need to rest players, as they are now, I don't think Everton's second string could go in and perform in the same vein as the first team because, you know, <coughs> Liverpool, um, right from the first team to the 18s, certainly in the um, under-23 side, they mirror how the first team plays. So that's a 4-3-3, like the first team, um, a high line, like we, we've seen Liverpool doing all season. And they're basically being drilled as to how the first team plays. So any of those players that do make that step up are in a position to uh, posit- positively impact the first team and almost bedding them in for the future. From what I've seen of Everton, I, admittedly, I, I don't. This is Everton's under twenty three. I don't watch them week in week week out, but I probably watch them more than say the average fan. They seem to play a completely different game, game plan on the Unsworth. You know, they they seem to sit. Um, sometimes four or five ones in low blocks and looks hit sides on the counter. And yet, okay, it, it gets results at that level, which is why they've won the uh, PL2 two of the last three years. But it's not developing the players in line with the first team. Um, and I think that's what's something... If Ancelotti can do that, he needs to try and realign Everton with its youth sides. Yeah. Because, you know, if there is talent in there, you can't expect like an Anthony Gordon to come into the side and um, perform as he's meant to in a set position when he's been playing a completely different style of that position for the youth team. Yeah, I think it's a case of like, if a youth player is promoted, make him able to come into an environment that, does, you know, there's no shocks for him. Mm. Everything is natural. Yeah, He's just performing as he usually would no matter what the level. Yes. And it's fine. Yeah. Whereas if you promote a kid from a youth team of the same club, but the style is completely different between both teams, that player is going to get a, a, a bit of a shock when he mm. starts having to do things he's not used to doing. Yeah. If a player has to start defending on the halfway line, for example, when he's used to soaking pressure, mm. it's going to be a, a shock to the system. Yeah. You, you, you may make mistakes and things like that. So It can impact the transition, can't it? And it's already tough enough anyway. That uh, these are just small details that Everton aren't adopting, and and the clubs who are better ran are, um, you know, Ancelotti's um, kind of been there and done it all. So we're hoping he can kind of arrange this with brands, or it may may already be wheels in motion. We don't know, but it's it's something that they definitely need to look at going forward. Um, but yeah, it was a it was just a it was a really bad result, and I think. It's going to be detrimental for a few years, actually. I think it was that bad because although they would have beat a um, weekend Liverpool side, I think that would have got the monkey off the back, wouldn't they? The wait since 99. And yeah. I think it could have made the Anfield derby a lot more competitive in years to come. But again, I think they're going to be they're going to be really weighed down by the burden of this bad record they have there. Um, and that, that's what I mean by the whole concept of players being scarred. Yeah. I think certain players that I've experienced, like any Everton player in that current team that's experienced that alongside the Origi moments, mm. alongside the Mane moments at Goodison Park. Mm. The 5 it, 2 it, last month, you know. Yeah, it yeah. sticks with you. Yeah. I and agree. there's a few Everton players in there that have experienced all of those. And it's, 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 
it will be in your mind. It'll, it'll haunt you if it's uh, if it's allowed to. Uh, another player who I imagine beat would be haunted by Liverpool that I'll just touch on now um, very briefly. Firstly, a segue into talking about him. Do you put any blame on Jordan Pickford for Curtis Jones's goal? Um, no, no, I wouldn't blame him. I don't think. I mean, it goes in off the bar. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? I, don't, well, I thought I, it was a great strike, and I'm actually... Yeah, ridiculous finish, yeah. yeah. Um, I wouldn't remove Pickford from blame full stop mm. as a player, but for that goal, I think it'd be a bit harsh. Do you think um, Do you think he struggles a little bit with with emotional games? Because, obviously, he what happened at Anfield last year, I thought he looked a bit shaky throughout against Liverpool on Sunday. I don't know if you agree. Um Newcastle last year, he was a bit of a mess. He gave away a penalty and was kind of a big factor in the 3-2 defeat um, that they had. And then there was talk that in the tunnel afterwards, he, he cracked a joke to Curtis Jones about um, that was a, a good cross or whatever, or a lucky cross, something along those lines, which no matter what context, whether it was a joke or whether it was a jibe, you just don't want to hear that, do you? have just been embarrassed in the derby. No, I, I mean... I'm gonna be blunt. I, I, I think he's a bit of a loose cannon. Mm. Personally, I think he's a. Uh, he's not that much of a serious player. Um, I think he he embraces the drama, mm. and he embraces the the adrenaline rush mm. of certain moments yeah. when you need a goalkeeper to be. It, any goalkeeper that is never in the spotlight is probably a good goalkeeper, mm. um, and I think Pickford embraces spotlight moments mm. and you can just tell by his actions and the way he carries himself and he's just a bit of, as I said just a bit of a loose cannon yeah. a bit erratic a bit eccentric and you just want your keeper to be absolute vanilla yeah almost no, I and, get he, it, yeah. and he's just not that is he no no I um I wrote a piece earlier this week on him um you'll find it on the Liverpool Echo um, it was a couple of days ago now, but I'm sure if you type in Jordan Pickford and my name, uh, Liverpool Echo would come up. And it was a, a real drill down on his numbers over the past 12 months in this season. Because I've I've suspected for a while, if I'm being brutally honest, that he, uh, he isn't performing at a great level. And in fact, according to the numbers, he's performing at a below average level. Um, so yeah, do check it out and see what you think. Let me know. But... Um, He's someone that I don't think he's in. He, he urgently needs replacing, but I think Ancelotti will be keeping an eye on him over the next six months. That's that's the thing with him. Although he's a loose cannon, and for me, from my perspective, he's incredibly frustrating. Mm. I I would not like him between the, the sticks of my goal. He, it, it's a weird one because he's okay, mm. English homegrown. Mm. You paid thirty million for him. There's bigger problems, so it's a difficult one, isn't yeah. it? In terms of like, do you really go about replacing this player, or do you just bear with him? Or it's a difficult one. What you do with them? I think, yeah, I think with goalkeepers, I think it's just better to potentially purchase them as when they're mature and or matured. I think it's difficult for young goalkeepers to come in. I think they have many teething issues, and they, they their career trajectory doesn't seem to work in the same way as an outfield player. I think Joe Hart was a fantastic example. Oh, Joe Hart looked one of the world's best in his early twenties, and you know by his late twenties he was shipped out, and and now he, he can't get a game at Burnley. 
And I just wonder, Jordan Pickford's only 25, but he's played a lot of Premier League games. He looks to be veering off a little bit form-wise. I uh, I don't know if he's going to be perhaps the goalkeeper Everton were hoping he would be. No, I'm the same, yeah. I think he was signed with, obviously, a degree of potential. Mm. When he was signed, he appeared as though he was a, a driven character mm. to me. Um, obviously, a big shot stopper at the time because he was, he was getting plenty on his goal because Sunderland was such a bad side at the time. Yeah. But um, I agree. I think he's. I mean, who's the goalkeeping coach at Everton? Maybe that. Maybe that's to do with it. But I, I don't think he's progressed. I think he's still roughly at the same level, if not worse than when Everton signed him. Yeah. Um, and he's 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 just the type to I think probably cause you more problems than he bails you out. Yeah. If you see what I mean. Yeah, I agree. The Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. The Royal Blue Podcast. I suppose we'll, we'll, we'll thankfully move on from Liverpool, but we will stay on the subject of players um, because I think it's been a bit of an eye-opener over the past week um, about what Everton kind of have squad-wise. Now, I I don't actually think Everton have bad players at all. I think they have a decent squad on paper and um, some good technical players and a decent mixed bag, not great, but decent. I think they're certainly in the top 10 in terms of squad quality, but I think they are hugely missing the psychological aspects of, of the game. You know, I think they are mentally weak across the board. Um, with that in mind, Josh, I've got a few thoughts, but I'm interested to see what you think. Do they potentially need to veer away from... Um, looking at talent alone or data alone and start focusing more on the psychological aspects of the game going forward in terms of recruitment? Well, this is it. I mean, we, we don't exactly know how much that comes into play at Everton. Mm. Um, last season when Fulham got promoted, for example, Fulham signed loads of players. I think their owners are American mm. and they're obviously very data-focused. And he's, It was clear that he signed a load of players that show up really well according to the numbers. Players like Zambo and Gita from League One hmm. uh, was clearly a data signing. Um, Joe Bryan, I think, was clearly a data signing. I think they got him from Bristol City hmm. or Bristol Rovers. Um, but the Fulham had, didn't really consider the concept of culture and the concept of personalities and things like that. And as a consequence, they ended up going down hmm. because plenty of those signings, you know, didn't gel or, or whatever it may be. Hmm. Um, but I don't know. It depends whether Everton actually consider that. I mean, they, they seem to... I, I have been a little bit disappointed with Brands' business as a whole simply because I don't think it's been particularly outside the box. Mm, yeah. Um, he seems to sign players that, well, everyone's heard of, really. Yeah. Um, players that are maybe underused at top clubs, plenty from Barcelona, you know, Kurt Zuma was at Chelsea, decided to land him. Arsenal, Alex Iwobi. Yeah, Alex Iwobi at Arsenal. Um but I think I think I'd be inclined to target players that are hungry to make the same step up as Everton are as a club, mm. if you know what I mean. So yeah. Everton are clearly clearly have a desire to step up into a Champions League spot, for example. Everton should sign players that are ready to make that step up and are good enough to make that step up, but also haven't taken the Champions League yet. If you mm. see what I mean, yeah. Look at teams like Red Bull Salzburg and, and Ajax and PSV and. Just those clubs that are on the cusp of 
consistent European football, mm. but they're not really. Do you see what I mean? No, a hundred percent. Yeah, I'm, I, I mean, I, I'm li- I'm nodding here with you. I don't know if people are listening or watching, but I totally agree with everything everything you've said. You know, it has been a case of buying. I wouldn't say has been. There's examples of that, but it does seem to be taking talent from elite sides with the thought process of they didn't make it there, but come on, they're a very top side. You know, we're the next tier down, so they'll succeed here. But I will but say though, that there's nothing wrong with that in moderation. It's just when that's your primary. Well, I was just focus. about to say, yeah, it, it seems that has basically been the case for nearly all Everton's recent signings. And um, one big th- issue I have with the same is I look at those players who are talented and haven't made it those clubs and it does make me question their psychological prowess because I think, you know, you have not been able to compete with, like, very hungry professionals around you who strive to be the best and to succeed and within that environment, you haven't been successful. You know, Luca Dino, I do like, by the way, although he's had a bad season, he uh, he's kind of gone from Barcelona, PSG, even you have to go Roma in there. You know, he's been in the in this environment, but hasn't really cut it. You know, Yerry Mean was at Barcelona. He didn't. Alex Iwobi, Arsenal didn't deem him fit good enough. It it seems like Everton are buying these players who potentially haven't got the psychological aspect of the game that they need to be successful. I think what I think what. What I'd say on that is, I'm not sure I'd question whether they've got the psychological capacity. I think what I would question, though, is whether they've still got the hunger if they've already tasted the top Mm. and made a step down. Say, for example, Lucas Lucas Dean. Um, He's obviously played in the Champions League various times with PSG and Barcelona and things like that. So, okay, he's now at Everton and he'll, he'll obviously still want to play at that level. But his desire to reach Champions League football won't be the same as Matt Doherty at, mm. that, at, at Wolves, Cantwell or something for like example. That, yeah. yeah, a player who's who's yet to yet to reach that level. And I, I hate doing this because I, I seem to use Liverpool as an example a fair few times. But we'll allow that because I, uh, I think that... That obviously trailblazers at the moment, so begrudgingly we'll let the Liverpool references stay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I'm just thinking the, the likes of Firmino and Wijnaldum and Sadio Mane, Andy Robertson, they all reached Champions League football mm. for the first time together. They yeah. they they had not experienced it. Mm. It's a big deal. You want to reach that? You've got the hunger to get that. Mm. The problem with signing players from from top clubs that are underused is. They maybe don't have the the hunger to to get back to that level. If you see what I mean, yeah. I've, but I actually think Everton have got gone one further than that with some signings. And we're not even talking about unused. We're talking about players on the way down. Like if we talk about Theo Walcott, who we flagged as being pretty poor, specifically in the second half against Liverpool. You know, he is he's had his glory days at Arsenal. You know, he's those medals. While he will be shown as grandkids when he retires, you know. He he hasn't come to do all that with Everton. He's already done it. He hasn't got that hunger, as you said. Fabian Delph, prime example. Now, I believe Fabian Delph was signed for this 
quote quote um, psychological impact in the summer. You know, people talked about him as a leader. He himself talked about his winning mentality. But before we come to the show, I was talking to Josh and I said, you know, I've watched the I've watched the Amazon documentary where he's in the changing room, you know, giving the talk, and he does talk the talk, but. Admittedly, I, d- I didn't watch Manchester City every week, but I don't remember Delph ever lean by example on the pitch. It always felt like he was very vocal, but you want players to do it on the pitch, you know, lead by example through the football. And from what we've seen of him so far, okay, he's been in and out of the side, but I haven't seen a performance like that from him at all. Um, and I think he is another player that you could maybe put on the Walcott category that he's kind of played with an elite side he's already achieved his success and maybe Everton's just kind of take me wage and see what I can do there yeah yeah no I agree, I agree with what you're saying character profile is obviously a massive part of scouting and mm. to, to be honest I, d- I doubt Everton don't do it or, or anything like that oh, maybe yeah, they course. just have to have to value it more, have to put it more to the top of what they're actually... I guess that's the point I was... I should have made it clear, the point I was trying to make it, does it need to be just become more of a focus on it rather than it just being part and parcel? Does that need to be up there with the skill set? Yeah, I mean, I will say though that you would get a benefit from fostering a culture inside the club. Mm. And obviously, if having to change your managers every two seasons... And a sporting director's been brought in and he isn't being particularly allowed to do his job completely mm. because of the uh, the chairman. Yeah. It, you're going to struggle to do that. So I think if you foster the culture, it would help. Mm. You, you know, you think of certain clubs that have had managers in charge for a long time. I mm. think of Nuno at Wolves, mm. Sean Dyche at Burnley. Um, you know, they've, got, they've got good groups. You get the impression. I love it. I love that you avoided the clop there. <laughs> <laughs> we yeah, appreciate well. that. Yeah. No, but I wanted to show that. Yeah. Even the top top players can be in a driven group. Mm. You know what I mean? It's the, the two teams I've just named. I've played their first European seasons. I think in 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 the past two years. Mm. You know. So. Yeah. Um. I totally agree. Just on on all the doom and gloom, is there just a little bit of context required specifically with the midfield? Obviously, Sigurdsson and Schneidlin were very poor. Don't look a good duo at all. But there's Gabamin out. Um, Davis is obviously there as well. Um, Gomez out injured. There is better midfielders at the club, isn't there? Um, and if they can get settled back into the side, then shouldn't have to rely on those players going forwards. Yeah, I mean, that's Gabamon, to be honest, is a prime example mm-hmm. of, I suppose, the type of signing we're talking about yeah. in terms of... May, may, maybe not as low as Mainz, because he's, he's probably not even getting a taste of it at Mainz because mm-hmm. it's, it's lower half of the division, but just a player like that who's may, maybe unearthing a gem that's that's ready and capable to make that step up... Um, you know, I'm interested, to see, I'm interested to see how he does once he comes in. I think Andre Gomez is another player who, he's a bit, he's, he's not particularly got any massive strengths, um, but he's got no massive weaknesses either, and I think he's quite a disciplined player. He's a player who does come across as quite a professional, um, you know, the way he applies himself and things like that, mm-hmm. and I think Angelotti will value that. But I don't think it's a case of Everton needing to sign 
various midfielders from you know from all kinds of money. Mm, yeah, I agree. I think there can be uh, one or two additions, but it doesn't need to say be another hundred, hundred fifty million down the um, down the drain or um, yeah, <laughs> spent, shall we say? Anyway, we'll we'll move on uh, and look ahead to Brighton because. They're, they're a completely different side to the Brighton that we saw last season, aren't they? Yeah, and they're a well-run club as well. Yeah, they are a well-run club. Actually, a really, really good example. Um, they're not necessarily getting the the results at the moment, are they? Um, it's to be expected, though, isn't it? Yeah, because it's that... Um, I suppose it's a transition period for them, isn't it? Yeah, but a transition period that, crucially, is quite stable. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It's not complete overhauls here mm-hmm. and there. It's just a transition year in terms of a style of play. They've got a good manager, haven't they, in, in, uh, in Potter? Yeah. I mean, we've just spoke there about culture. Potter's certainly very, very culture-focused. I think he's. I think I'm right in saying he's got some sort of degree in psychology, I think, or mm-hmm. something like that, leadership. or I think it is leadership, actually. Yeah. Um, but, you know, because of all that, he tends to be quite a long-term coach, long-term appointment. Um, he's been... You know, he's sort of linked with Everton at yeah. the time. But then Brighton give him a six-year deal. Do you think, think that would have been a six. good move for Everton just on that? Um, or do you think maybe... Because uh, I just wonder whether Everton's, Everton don't, won't give him as much time at the moment. I think Evertonians, rightfully so, because of how they've suffered lack of success-wise. But I think there's a shorter um, shelf life at Goodison. I think... Potter for the large majority of clubs would be a very, very good appointment. I mm-hmm. think he's very good at what he does, very level headed, very smart and you know, all that sort of stuff. But considering what we said about Everton mm. a couple of months ago, mm. the demand for the team to represent intensity mm. and how the how the supporters of the club relate to intense football. Mm. I'm not exactly sure Potter's of that. Um, I'm not saying he's completely the opposite, but the aggressive, in-your-face, assertive style of play that's quite direct while also being modern and progressive, I'm not exactly sure he, he epitomises that style of play. Yeah. I think that you can possibly get more suit- suitable candidates to an Everton. But on the fo- I think the, ul- the ultimate Everton appointment, the ultimate out there, would be a Diego Simeone. Mm. Really, really aggressive in your face, front foot assertive and all that stuff. Yeah. Elite, well drilled, organised, all that stuff. Mm. Um, and he's gonna crucially coin- coincide that with, you know, constant development and an identity and and all, all that stuff. Mm. Um, and I think Potter's a little bit in a different mould. Yeah, I mean the, uh, I mean uh, fans are more than happy with Ancelotti, so we're not. Flying the flag for Potter is just an, an interesting subject, um, but yeah, he's he's come in and he's installed a bit more as as Josh said, really, um, a bit modern game. Um, he, he really likes his side to have possession of the ball. He's he's very flexible, isn't he, with his tactics? You know, we you, I, I couldn't predict at the moment what formation we'd say it could be a a three four two one four four two, maybe even a three four three. He's um, he does seem to adjust to nullify the strengths of the opposition. Um, so it'll be interesting to see what he does line up with at Goodison. One footnote, not that we focus solely just on form, but it is worth noting he's only won one in seven games, hasn't he? Yeah, 
Um, but again, I think that coincides with the fact that he's you, your results are going to suffer if you're mm. trying to develop. And yeah. th- th- this is um, similar to what I said when when Ancelotti was appointed, and it's similar for Arsenal too. I think the results will suffer in the meantime yeah. as you're going through that period of development, and then you will get to a stage where you think, okay, now we need to start getting the results mm. to coincide with the style of play yeah, once yeah. it's been actually defined. I agree. The um, they currently rank 14th in the Premier League, but given how tight the division is at the moment, um, I mean, we run through some of the rankings in various departments, you'll see that it's probably fair to argue that they're in a fair position. They could be anywhere between 9th and ninth and 14th where they are now. The, they've scored the 10th most goals in the division. Um, they rank 12th in terms of XG. Um, they've conceded the, the ninth most goals. Um, XG against the rank 13th. As I said, they like ball possession and they've got the sixth best, well, the sixth highest, I should say, ball possession average in the Premier League, which is a testament to that, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, you can see what the weapons were yeah. based on those numbers. Um, seven for shots for, uh, 11 for shots against. So, you know, they're, they're pretty much what you consider quite a mid table side at the moment, aren't they? Yeah, if you, if you look up, uh, we analysed them a couple of weeks ago. For a different match, and if you look at them, they come across as quite a beige, vanilla mm. type team, don't they? Yeah, because of what the way it was, as you say. So, they come across as a very middle of the road at the minute. But, um, I think that's just with a view to eventually being a really stable, consistent top 10 team. They're the team, aren't they, to watch out for over the next 18 months? I think maybe in two years' time, they could be a side really pushing the top seven or so. Yeah, they're, they're doing what. I mean, I don't have to want to keep saying it because it's, it's coming across quite negative, I suppose. But I, they're doing what we would have liked mm. Everton to do in terms of going down the long term route mm. um, and doing it properly without taking shortcuts and things like yeah. that. And I think the the hope is um, obviously if there can be some relative success over the next couple of years with Ancelotti, maybe try and solidify top seven positions and pick up a trophy, and then from there. Install someone like like we 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 say you know someone who can kind of then align everything at the club and and kind of set the identity for potentially the next ten years. Yeah, um, but do you know what Brighton doing though? They're like they're doing it properly because um, as I said, the whole taking shortcuts thing. What they did, they've, got, they've obviously got promoted mm. and they've stayed relatively safe for a number of years under Chris Hutton. Mm. And while they've stayed safe, they've signed players that are suited to what they would deem as the next step. Mm. And then once Potter comes in, he's already got the players to then start with that new style of play. Mm. Whereas if you compare that to, say, for example, Crystal Palace a couple of years ago, mm. they wanted to take that shortcut, mm. bring in Frank de Boer, yeah, and start building from the back with James Tompkins. Mm. Yeah. And it was it's doomed to fail. That's not, yeah, how, it's not how you do it. Um yeah, and I, th- I think uh, Brighton are going to benefit. Well, they are benefiting from being able to move over to a different style of play because they've got players that can. They've got players there that can do it. You know, they've got Lewis Dunk. Hmm. They've got Lewis Dunk at, at the back. They've got Adam Webster at the back and yeah. build the play. Dan Byrne as well. Hmm. Progressive players. Yeah, yeah. They've got and that they seem to have a good data focus. Don't they? Data seems to play a huge part in their recruitments. Yeah. Um, well, the owner's a. I think he's a professional gambler. Isn't he? Mm. Tony Bloom. Yeah. So um 
He's uh, he's well equipped, shall we say? But uh, we'll have to wrap it up because it's it flew by. Um, it's been good to be back, actually. Um, we'll finish on a verdict. What do you think will happen against Brighton? Um, it's a Goodison. It is a Goodison. I am gonna go two one Everton. I think. Yeah, I actually fancy Everton to win. I hope to God plays don't win and then come out afterwards and says uh, that was making up for last week. I hope there's none of that. I just hope it's time <laughs> to knuckle down. Ancelotti's got some time now. He's had some. He's. I think post this game, he's going to start getting a decent run of working with them on the training pitch, and hopefully he can start instilling um, some of his ideologies, and hopefully that'll fire Everton up the table. But I do think they'll get a win this weekend. Um, ironically, I'm also going to go two one. Okay. Mm. Um, but yeah, thanks for listening and. Me and Josh will be back next week. Um, hopefully it's a bit more of a positive show. Um, yeah, enjoy your weekend. Hopefully I win on the weekend. Cheers, Josh. Cheers, mate. You've been listening to the Royal Blue Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.